Good morning, everyone. I want to take a moment to uh, wish all the dads out here happy Father's Day. And I know uh, Father's Day is, is, a, is a great time to honor dads and to remember the men that help shape our lives. Um, and, and some of us and, who have, have lost a father, um, remembering the man he was, and some of us who have struggled with becoming fathers, knowing uh, the joy that's found uh, within, within the life of a child. Um, and uh, a couple out here that are uh, first Father's Days, and uh, it's, it's going to be wonderful for the rest of your life. So uh, happy Father's Day to everyone. Uh, if you will, turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, and we'll be in the book of Acts uh, looking at what Paul talks about, uh, his ministry with the church in Ephesus, and um, Ephesus is a, is a wonderful, wonderful case study for uh, what the church can become and who the church should be, and uh, just a little forward look, just so everyone knows, after the first of the year, we're going to dive into the book of Ephesians together, and uh, I've, I've sent sermon calendars to, to Lewis and to Ben to let them know kind of some directions we're going, um, so, so just to give you a little... Uh, look ahead. We've got a couple more weeks on this We Build. This is just some foundational work of what we're going to hope to do together in, in our time uh, as we co-labor for the Lord Jesus Christ. But then we're going to dive into what I believe is the greatest sermon ever preached, and that is the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to take a long, hard look at the words that Jesus Christ taught that, that afternoon uh, to, to the myriads of people there in the Judean countryside. And that's going to take us right up till almost Christmas time. Then after the first of the year, we're going to spend um, several weeks in the book of Ephesians together. But here we are in Acts chapter 21, or excuse me, Acts chapter 20. And in Acts chapter 20, we find Paul uh, catching the people, the elders of the church in Ephesus, and starting in verse 17, it says, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. When they came to him, he said to them, you know how from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the entire time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now I am on my way to Jerusalem. I am compelled by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me, but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Let's pray together. Father, it's because of this gospel of your grace that we have the privilege to gather together. We who were not a people, you have made your people. And not just servants, but you have drawn us into your family. We are heirs with Christ Jesus. And we thank you for that. This morning, as we look at our church, as we look at our community and how we can place some building blocks together, Lord, we're not just playing with Legos, we're playing with souls. And we are seeking to reach a community in a dynamic and different way. So this morning, as we look at how we serve, we ask that your spirit would fill us, that your spirit would move in us. 
And that as we celebrate dads, we would point to our heavenly father, the one who loves us more than we could ever know. And we ask this in the name of our savior, Christ Jesus, amen. I know you just opened your eyes because we all had our eyes closed during prayer because that's what you're supposed to do, right? Um, and, unless you're three and you can point, hey, your eyes aren't closed, your eyes aren't closed. Um, so I'm gonna ask you to do me a favor and close your eyes again for just a minute. And, and as you've got your eyes closed, I want you to start picturing Fairburn. Pick, picture the town. Maybe you're picturing Sonoya Road. Maybe you're picturing Broad Street. Maybe you're on Rivertown Road or Ingram Parkway or South Fulton Parkway. Maybe you've gone out of town a little bit and you're, you're somewhere over towards Palmetto or maybe all the way up in Campbellton or East Point. What do you see? Ch- chances are you're picturing your favorite place to eat. Maybe you're picturing that waiter or waitress that knows you by name because you have frequented that restaurant many times. Maybe you see somebody walking down the road. Maybe it's that same man that you see walking down that same road looking hopelessly lost day after day. Maybe you're picturing your doctor's office and as you're sitting there looking, thumbing through all of the old magazines that have the home addresses of the doctors and nurses cut off the front so you can't go to their house after hours. You see people sitting in the other chairs with the same worry about health, the same concern about what the doctor is going to say or the same fatigue of sitting in a waiting room having their patients tested for hours. What makes you enjoy life where you live? What makes you step foot out and say, I enjoy the place where I live? We all know it's the traffic. We all know it's the the growing city around us. But really, what is it that makes you love this area? You can open your eyes. Where do you invest? See, every single one of us, to some degree, has some sort of investment in South Fulton, North Fayette, North Coweta, wherever in this area you call home. We've got some sort of investment. Some of you have watched your children grow up right here. Some of you have had the privilege of watching your children baptized right there. Some of you have watched your children walk across a graduation stage at one of the high schools in this area. Some of you have sent your kids to college from right here. Some of you have watched your grandchildren start to grow up and you tell them of how the community's changed and how the world around. And you remember when this was just a two-lane road. Do you even remember when it was still dirt? There is so much investment because while we try to think of life in terms of where we live as being a function, it's really the core of what makes us who we are. Try as I might, I can't get the South Georgia out of my voice. I just can't. We were meeting yesterday with a realtor and a builder trying to make some final preparations to close on our house in a few days. And the realtor knew that we lived in South Carolina, didn't realize I was from South Georgia. And she said something about Georgia Red Clay. I said, ma'am, that was the road where I grew up. 
Some things you just can't get away from. But we also live in a transitioned community, a transitioned society, and it has everything to do with the way we step foot out of our vehicle into our home and cease to exist in the community around us. We wake up, we go to work, we come home, we go to bed. Yeah, our kids play some sports, but we're usually there with some sort of gadget in our hand, somewhat, and our, our, our wife or our husband's elbow. Hey, they're up to bat. Hey, they're up there. They got the ball. Uh, you look up for a minute. We've sectioned ourselves out to where the investment of where we live has faltered. And so we have to start asking ourselves as people of faith, we have to start asking ourselves right here within these walls, these walls that are supposed to be comforting because this is what insulates us from the world around us. We have to start asking ourselves, but why should we be different and where are we different? And that's where Paul brings us back into what he's talking about with the elders of the church in Ephesus. And he shows us first and foremost that when we serve our community, it is an act of love. Serving our community is an act of love. Look at the words that Paul uses to describe with the Ephesian elders here. He says he, he sent for them. Now, he wasn't even going back to Ephesus. He got word as he was on his missionary journey that something was going on. And so he called the leaders of the church in Ephesus to come and have a little bit of a huddle powwow just a few miles down the road because he was on a beeline. You remember, Paul's whole method of what he was trying to do was get the gospel as far as he could. So he was trying his hardest to get to Rome. And he didn't care what waited for him at Rome, but he knew that Rome was the center of the modern world. And if he could get to Rome, he could get the gospel anywhere. So, so he took time out of his day, out of his busy travel schedule and said, you know what, I'm going to have a layover here at this port, so bring the Ephesian elders there and we've got to talk. And look at what he says. You know how from the very first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the entire time. Church history believes that Paul spent up to three years in the city of Ephesus with this church, more than any other church where he was spending time making disciples to set this church up. Man, Ephesus was a great place. He got there and he started talking with people. It says over in Acts chapter 19, he starts talking with them about their common faith. He says, man, tell me about what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, let me go ahead and put it out there. You've got to ask, what's the Holy Spirit doing in my life? Because the Holy Spirit is not inactive. We don't serve a God who rides the bench. You know, the Braves up here, they've got this nice stadium and they've got several people on their roster that never see the field. They, they sit there and they're, they're inactive until they're caught up. And so God's not the pinch hitter. God's not the extra fielder up there waiting for his chance to get out there because he's been practicing hard with the rest of the team. God is not in that business. And so Paul asked the Ephesian elders, the Ephesian church, hey, tell me what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. And the startling response was, who's the Holy Spirit? And so Paul, you know, he's kind of in this theological conundrum in his mind. And he asked the question, wait a second. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, with whose baptism were you given? Well, John's baptism, the baptism of repentance. And so Paul does this really cool Baptist background. So we're Baptists, so we can come back in here and say, no, no, it wasn't just about the water. It was about the Holy Spirit. 
See, we had the love of God poured on our lives that when we saw the wonderful sacrifice of Christ Jesus, that he shed his blood so that we could be forgiven, he didn't just say, all right, you're washed, get on your way. He gave us the Holy Spirit and placed him within us that we would have a different type of power. And you know what happened when that Holy Spirit power came upon the church in Ephesus? The whole city went into turmoil. Man, Ephesus was, had, the, had the temple of Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Man, it started affecting the economy. We get later in chapter, chapter 19, we find this guy named Demetrius, a silversmith. He's a little mad because people aren't stopping by his shop to buy these silver goods to take to the temple to offer. So, so he's a little upset about that. The Holy Spirit started affecting his pocketbook because the Holy Spirit got lives and got real in the lives of the people of God. And, and rather than rioting against Demetrius, the church in Ephesus continued to love their city and continue to proclaim the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the same power that you and I have today. And so Paul comes in here and he tells this church in Ephesus, he tells these elders, he says to them, you know how I was with you the whole time. Why? Because I love you. Serving the community is based on our love for where we live. It kind of pulls us out of this utilitarian mode where, okay, we just live here because it's close to where we work and it's convenient. There's a couple of restaurants and a grocery store and a doctor and a drug store where I can get everything I need, go to work, go home. Oh, by the way, there's also a gas station. Paul says in this passage of scripture that he loves it. He demonstrates the compassion that he had for Ephesus. He goes on, he says, look, I was with you. I was serving the Lord with all humility. Now, we don't know a whole lot about what Paul was doing. Some aspects of the book of Acts talk about how he made his own tents and sold them. How he sought to provide his own way, not wanting to be a burden to anyone. He tells the church in Thessalonica, you know how I tried to pay my own way. I didn't want my, my, my livelihood to be a burden to you, but an opportunity for the gospel to go forward. And he shows them, he says, look, I didn't avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable. Man, you want to have compassion on a city, you proclaim to them what is profitable. And what is the most profitable is the love of Christ Jesus, the blood that poured out for us. See, this was the motivation of what Paul was doing. And when we look at what Paul's saying to the church in Ephesus and what he's saying to these Ephesian elders, he comes back to us and we look in the mirror and we have to say, you know, my city deserves that same compassion. And my city needs that same compassion. I've yet to meet someone that was hated to Jesus. I, I've known a few kids that grew up that were hated to church and were angered to church because mom and dad were hateful and angry trying to get them there. There's a, there's a man in ministry named Charles Lauer. He's a Christian psychologist out in Dallas. He used to be on staff at First Baptist Dallas. He grew up in a preacher's home. And he tells the story of how, how they lived in the parsonage, but it was five miles from the church when he was growing up. And how his dad would always put them in the car and they're driving and his dad was always in a bad mood trying to get to church because the kids were, were the, the kids were fighting, getting ready and nobody was on time. And so they would pass by and there they are, what he called the heathens. 
They're out there in the front yard. They've got a couple of beers and a couple of cigarettes. They're playing softball and they're having a good time. And his dad's clenching the steering wheel like he's going to break it in half and says, they don't know the joy of Jesus. And he said, I decided right then in the middle with my feet sitting on the hump of the back seat of the car, when I grow up, I'm going to be a heathen. I don't know anyone that has been hated or angered to Jesus, but Paul demonstrates this city came unraveled because you had compassion that was led by the, the cross of Christ Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit in you and me. The, the, the power of the gospel flowing through us. The power that God shows through love. Paul goes on in this passage of scripture and he shows us starting in verse 19. He says, I was serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. He shows us again that serving our community is an act of love. Yeah, I know, I repeated myself. That's point number two. It's by design. This passage drips with Paul's love for this city. This, this passage drips with the way that Paul served because of the love that he had. And he shows how this love was driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you, do you think it was because of God's hatred and, and anger that he sent his own son to the cross for us? It's because... He loved sinners such as I, such as us. It's because God had a never-ending, an unstoppable, an unbreakable, an unearnable love. That's what drives the gospel. Look what Paul says. He says, I didn't avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. Translation, I got up into your face with it. I loved you enough to get this close into your life as tight as you would let me because I wanted you to know that love is what is driving this gospel that I am preaching. That love is what is driving every motive, every, every fiber of my being to get into your life, to let you know that Jesus loves you. That God loves you. Because love drives the gospel. The, the love of God, oh man, the song we just sang a minute ago, the choir sang, I don't know if y'all were singing along with the choir or not, uh, I, I realized I was singing along with the ladies, so y'all in the second row, I'm sorry about that. Uh, before the throne of God, you, you don't get a better picture of the love of God than that we stand before his throne and we point to the sinless savior and he says, that's right, I loved you enough that I would sacrifice my son for you. My son's sitting down here on the second row in the pink shirt up here. I love you guys. I don't know most of you very well yet. I'm not sacrificing my son for you. That's the love of God. That, that's what Paul was driving. I, I didn't keep back. I didn't hold out of proclaiming this love of God getting into your home, getting into your life and letting you see the power of this gospel. And here's what he brings us back to, is that the gospel is driving the way he serves. So look, look, look here, this is called a syllogism. A syllogism is a couple of statements that come together with a conclusion. So, so the gospel 
is driven by love, then the gospel drives service. So if we love Fairburn, if we love South Fulton, if we love North Fayette, North Coweta, wherever you are, if you love it, it should be driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ because there are a thousand really good man-based community service projects out there. If you don't believe me, just go get in trouble with the law. They're really good at helping you find a place where you can serve your community a little bit. But there's a difference when the gospel is pouring out. And Paul says here, he says, I did not hold back from, I didn't avoid proclaiming to you anything. He says in verse 21, I testified to both Jews and Greeks concerning repentance towards our Lord. That is the gospel in everything that he is doing. He didn't just love Ephesus because it had a nice little ocean view. You get up there on the hill right above the city and look out and say, oh man, look at that beautiful crystal water of the Mediterranean. Oh, I got a good breeze. This is a good vacation spot. I love going to Hilton Head Island over in South Carolina. And that's my favorite place to go on vacation. That's not what Paul's talking about. It wasn't that he just loved it because it was a good place to kick back and relax. Some of you are mountain people. Some of you are lake people. Some of you are beach people. Some of you are stay-at-home people. And you love where you go. But when you love a city with the love of Christ Jesus, you no longer see streets. You no longer see restaurants. You never no longer see uh, waiters and waitresses, attendants, clerks. You see souls. You, you see people in need of what you already have. The question is, are you going to give it to them? Paul says in this passage of scripture that I loved you and that drove my service, but my service was also driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ because I wanted you to know that there is a God and we stand before him. The Bible tells us that at the end of time, every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, I don't want us to misunderstand what Paul is writing when he gets to that passage in Philippians. He's not telling us that everybody's gonna be saved because he says everybody who is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, those who have been redeemed and those that will spend eternity consigned to a place that was designed for Satan, his legions of angels, will profess the lordship of Christ Jesus, but on that day, it will be too late. Do you love Fairburn enough to tell them? Is the gospel driving your service? See, how do you respond to this? My response is serving. My response is going from here with a mission to accomplish, to see people come to faith in Christ Jesus, to teach them, as Jesus said, all things, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to raise them up as mature believers in Christ Jesus. Paul comes back here and says, I'm still serving you. I still love you because the gospel is still for you. So go back to Ephesus and reach third thing we see in this passage of scripture is that serving my community is an act of love it's an act of love and they got these shirts that that you can buy I don't know why anybody would really buy one but they have them it says I heart 
NY. I, I love New York. I don't know why anybody would buy one of those things because what comes out of New York are the Mets and the Yankees and I don't really like either one of them. But, but you've got these shirts, I heart New York. Or, or there's another slogan out there, Virginia is for lovers. You know, what, what, what does that even mean? What, what if what people saw here from First Baptist Church, Fairburn, Georgia, was individuals going out with a gospel-centered, Christ-love-dripping service for them. See, we live in a handout society. You do something for somebody else and you put your hand out because you want, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. A quid pro quo society. That's what, that's what we want. I'm ingratiated to you, so I owe you something. Well, what if it was just, you owe nothing? Fairburn owes us nothing. South Fulton owes us nothing, but we owe them the love of Christ Jesus. Let them see that. See, what Paul shows here in these last few verses, he says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. Now, we're Southern Baptists, so we can be real. That's enough to make most of us bow out immediately. Chains and affliction, trouble. All right, I hear where you're going with this. Yeah, um, let me go to my prayer closet and I'll get back to you. See, what Paul shows here is that Jesus Christ is the supreme worth. When you get serious about the Holy Spirit's activity in your life, it's not gonna make you speak in tongues. It's not gonna make you grab snakes. It's not gonna make you swing from chandeliers. But what it is gonna do is put you in a position where you see the overwhelming worth of Christ Jesus. And you say there is nothing that can compare to someone else seeing this for the first time. And Paul says, I'm going back to Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit has shown me that trouble lies ahead if I'm going there. But you know what? Jesus Christ is worth it. Is Jesus Christ worth it? Where you're sitting today, is Jesus Christ worth all of the trouble that may lay ahead of us? See, we, we like to live in these Christian bubbles where we think, man, just get your right, heart right with Jesus and everything will be Okay. All your bills will magically be paid on time. All your, all your, man, your medicine cabinet's gonna empty itself because you just come to Jesus and man, your body's gonna be just ticking like the way it was made in the Garden of Eden. Tell somebody that's suffering with disease or an abusive spouse or joblessness. You just come to Jesus and all your problems go away. What we need to start saying is, you know what? You come to Jesus, you might start having more problems. You might have a little bit more of an uphill climb. Not because God is in there going, <laughs> yeah, you came to me, all right. Here's my foot on your back of your head. No, because he wants to grow us up in Christ's likeness. You think the march to Golgotha was easy for Jesus Christ? author of Hebrews says he did it for the joy set before him not for hanging there but for what would come Jesus is the supreme worth but he goes on in this passage and he says I consider my life of no value to myself I consider my life no value 
My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. See, Paul's drawing us in here and he's inviting us in to the inner chamber of his heart. That, that place that we like to sometimes pretend isn't actually there where the real life shows up. See, that, that, that's where we have to make that decision about the activity of the Holy Spirit or not because there's really not room for the Holy Spirit and us in there. Because when the Holy Spirit starts setting up shop and getting involved in there, he starts pushing a little bit of us out. And he starts emptying us a little bit more and more of us. And we get in that corner of our heart and we start getting real with things. And the Holy Spirit takes over and Paul says, come on, come on in here a little bit. Because there's this course, there's this ministry, there's this, there's this action that's sitting before me. It's an action compelled by the love of Christ Jesus, the gospel in me. And he shows us that when we love Jesus first, first, loving my community is gonna follow. See, Paul, remember, he brags about himself a little bit. I was a Jew of Jews. I'm the tribe of Benjamin, man. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. As to the law, I was blameless. But then he says, but I'm kicking it all out for the cause of Christ Jesus. If, if you think you've got religious credentials, if you think that you've got it made, you've got that perfect attendance pin. You remember the old, uh, the old Baptist envelopes that we used to have uh, sitting around in all the Baptist churches that had like 19 boxes you could check? I brought somebody to school, I brought my Sunday school, I brought my Bible, I was here on time, I tied, I did this, I brushed my teeth this morning, I didn't argue with mama. All the things that we could check to come and be a good Sunday school attender. Paul says, man, I, man, I created that list. But I love Jesus first. So I'm laying myself aside to love my community. And when we love Jesus first, it becomes a joy becomes a joy remember the old hymn the joy of the lord is my strength maybe you've never had that joy maybe what you've been going on for your strength has been you see here's something about you that maybe nobody's ever told you you're going to fail yourself it started when you were a kid and you were trying to learn how to walk and you fell you failed yourself it started, it came again that next time that you really studied hard for that test and you didn't make the grade you hope you failed yourself. It happened again when you got married. Oh man, we're never gonna have those kind of fights that mom and dad had and then you had it. You failed yourself. I'm gonna do better. I made a New Year's resolution. I'm gonna do better this year. And by January the 3rd, what resolution? You failed yourself. I'm going to be the best Christian I can possibly be. You failed yourself. But when you put the joy of the Lord based on the love of God and Christ Jesus as the center of who you are and what is making you tick, what you find is that the blood of Christ overcomes all because the blood of Christ is where we find our strength, our power, our vitality. We dive deeper into his word and it flows into a community that needs him. So maybe you've never had that joy. This morning, I'm gonna tell you how you get it. You put yourself aside and you run to the cross of Jesus Christ. 
where he put to death the power of sin over you. Yeah, Jesus died on that cross and when he did, he took your sin with him and he buried it. Come to this, Jesus. Dad, you wanna show your kids what the joy of the Lord is? Get involved in serving your community. It, it, yeah, through the church, that's great. But find a place where you can minister to people in the name of Jesus Christ because of what he did for you.